Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to the rest of you guys. We are back. It is episode 69, so we've got a lot in store for you guys. I'm your host, Q, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex McShane. I have our producer, Chris, in the background somewhere, and we are joined today by our first guest, entrepreneur, Bitcoin investor, Bitcoin entrepreneur, Jay Gold. Jay, how are you doing today, man? What's up, Q? Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. Uh, I want to dive right in a little bit on what we were kind of talking about before we went live um, on just sort of what your day-to-day -day looks like. You're not necessarily paying attention to price movement. You're not memeing the dips and making fun of Joe Rogers out there for not signing his bonus check. Shout out Joe for signing way too early. Um, you're instead focused a lot more on the business development side of just the Bitcoin ecosystem. Talk to us a little bit about like, what does that mean first off? Yeah, I'm an investor, entrepreneur, 20 years, um, started several different companies, had a few exits, um, invested about 100 companies, internet companies, uh, primarily, and um, some biotech and stuff too, but mostly just social internet, marketplace kind of dynamic businesses. But I'm also invested in Bitcoin companies too. So um, I'm looking at tons of deal flow in within the Bitcoin space and outside of it as well, just regular internet kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of my Bitcoin friends, like American Hoddle, he's like, yeah, what the hell would you want to invest in anything other than Bitcoin? <laughs> it's like the fastest growing asset in the world. And uh, recently we flipped him, uh, Mason, me and Jason Williams got him to start investing in Bitcoin companies. Um, I think it's important for a few reasons. Number one, it's going to, um, I think it's going to advance Bitcoin, um, you know, a little bit further along. If you look at the shitcoin market, right. Um, there's tons of venture capital that's going in there. And then the underlying assets that's living on top of these chains, it's, it's benefiting from this. Right. And so we're seeing um, over the last, you know, four or five years, whatever it's been a tremendous amount of capital going into all these, um, as we know, shitcoin companies. Right. And you get the uh, Mark Andreessen's of the world who raised $4 billion for a crypto fund. Um, they don't have a Bitcoin only fund. Right. I'm sure at some point they'll probably do that too. Um, but they won't have the credibility in the space. Right. Um, but there are a bunch of funds out there that are primarily focused on that, like 1031 and Tremble and others. Um, and I think it's great. And so like I'm participating in that as well now. Um, you know, I'm an investor in Swan. I didn't get in early, but I got in to just to participate and support Corey. I think what he's doing is fantastic. I think the brand that he's built is fantastic. Um, and he, and he clearly understands Bitcoin, right? So Swan, I'm in Pervious AI recently. I got into Bitcoin, the Bitcoin company, um, Zion and a few others. Um, and I'm, and I'm just, that's what I do all day. So I'm just constantly looking at those types of deals and, I just think it's great to support the space. It's great to support the entrepreneurs. And I think that there needs to be stuff built on top of Bitcoin, right? Like they have on others. And by the way, it's another point that I'll make. Um, excuse me. I had plan B on my show a few months ago. And I said, you know, you know, your model broke, right? Like the plan B stock, the flow model didn't work. Then I had Willie Wu on and Willie was saying, uh, he's like, I don't think it broke. He's like, I just don't think that he accounted for all the dilution within the crypto space. He goes, so if you look at the overall space, um, it's like two trillion at the time it was $2 trillion. He goes, and if you take that, divide that by the number of issuance of uh, Bitcoin, he's like, actually he hit the target. He just didn't account for the dilution in the space. Um, and so there's a lot of fragmentation out there, um, with all the confusion for people that are getting into this. They don't know what they should be doing. They're seeing it as like a flip, a Ponzi type of thing. Uh, but it all comes back to Bitcoin ultimately, as we know. All right. Before Alex and Chris chop my head off, I do want to like explore a little bit of what you're talking about with like the Web3 and all these other funds that are just investing in crypto at large versus you and your team being focused on Bitcoin centric. Like obviously there's, it's the wild west when it comes to crypto. You can literally just say, oh, it's 
we're on a blockchain and therefore we qualify as some bullshit crypto or here's my face on a token and here you go. Like talk to us about how, how your team differentiates these and what are sort of those characteristics that separate Bitcoin from everything else that you're paying attention to? Yeah, I'll give an example of a call I just had um, last week and a follow-up call yesterday. Uh, Don Stewart is a guy I'm working with. Uh, he's a Bitcoiner in the space. I was had an exit as, a, as an entrepreneur in just tech general and is also a Bitcoiner and, and uh, in investing in Bitcoin investments. And so I had a call with a company. I don't want to identify the company's name. They'll probably hear this and know that I'm talking about them, but um, but they, they had a crypto project, right? And one of my friends, previous partner and a previous investor one of my company is a guy named Lou Kerner. Uh, Lou runs Blockchain Co-Investor. They have a SPAC, Blockchain Co-Investor Acquisition Corp, and uh, introduced me to this startup, right? So I get on a call with these startup, and uh, these guys are telling me that they're, they're basically trying to fractionalize um, timeshares, right? Real estate timeshares. Uh, and I'm like, sounds interesting. So I listened to this. And at the end of the pitch, I said, well, why don't you just build this on top of Bitcoin? <laughs> right? Like why? And you know what it always comes down to, right? They want a pre-sale token. Let's be honest, right? It's always about a token, right? They're always trying to shit coin. And the founder uh, did not, you know, first he's like the first call. He's like, nah, we don't want to do that. That's not our intent. And then we had a follow-up call and the other founders were on. He's like, no, yeah, we totally do. I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, no guys, I'm not doing that. I said, why don't you just build it on top of Bitcoin? There's gotta be a way that you could do this as Bitcoin only. Um, and ultimately we just couldn't get there. So I passed, you know, but like, that's the kind of stuff that we're seeing. I think that there's people that just go out there and they see an opportunity. They're opportunists, right? They see an opportunity to go and create money out of thin air. And that's what they're doing, right? So they try to do these token sales and equity on top of it. It's, it's bullshit for the most part, right? And if you're an investor, yes, I could make a lot of money doing that. But I, I refrain from that type of activity. Jay, I'm going to chime in real quick. Also, doesn't that put you at risk technically? Like if you're an investor and, you know, you have money investing in these companies and then, you know, the SEC decides to crack down or another government agency not advocating for this. But if they were saying you're basically investing in unregistered securities, they're going to go after not just the company, but you as an investor that put money into it. Is that true? Or I guess take me through that logic. So, Chris, what I'll tell you is that that's probably somewhat true, but investors are pretty sophisticated, right? So they have different structures and entities and offshore and all kinds of things to, to try to tap dance around these kind of things. And they have to have investment advisors that are technically managing things. And so there's a there's a way to get around what you're saying, which in some ways it's like, what's the point of the regulation if you can get around it, right? It's kind of silly. It's just, it's rules are meant to be broken, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that those, those that are investing are probably going to be exposed, but there's a possibility. And I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a regulator. I have, I have no idea. It's not why I don't do it. I don't do it because I just don't think it's the right thing to do. And I think I want to support the one thing I think that will truly come out on the other side of this. I, mean, I just got it. Oh, Alex, you muted. So my follow-up would be, uh, is Bitcoin the only ethical digital property from an investment standpoint? You're in term in terms of like a, a, a cryptocurrency, is that what you're saying? Or are you just saying yeah, in general yeah. for a tech investment? Yeah. Well, I think both because I think all the others end up being securities that are. Well, if we're talking in digital assets, I think that's right. But I do invest in internet companies. Right. And so like this company, mm -hmm. I said, why don't you just have a, why do you need a blockchain? Like just have a database, right? As Jimmy Song would say, it's just a database, right? And uh, they try to talk around it and all this jibbity job, right? It's a bunch of crap, right? It's always about the token. It is always about them creating money out of thin air. And that's what it always comes down to. When you really like peel the onion back, you know, that, that's what it really is, you know? Um, 
but they try to say, no, the blockchain, it's decentralized. And I'm like, no, it's, it's really not, right? I, I have this thing, I call it the Frisbee test, the Frisbee disc test, right? Where I throw the D to somebody and then you throw the D back to me. So I give you the D, D question. Is it decentralized? You give me the answer. Is it immutable? You throw it back to me and you tell me why it is. Is it scarce? You throw it back. And then ultimately is it censorship resistant and you throw it back. And I got to tell you, other than Bitcoin, nobody's going to be able to go back and forth on this, right? It's not possible. So yeah, all the rest of it's bullshit. So Jay, what I wanted to say is thank you for doing, I think, the most important thing, which is clearly explaining to all these bozos out there that everything that they try to do can and just should be built on top of Bitcoin if it's applicable and necessary to be on a blockchain, but not yeah. everything deserves that. Um, That's right. Can you maybe expand on that thought of just like these ideas or concepts that come come to you that maybe don't deserve to be on a blockchain or don't need to be on a blockchain. Well, the company I was just saying is a great example. It's a top of mind. I was just talking to these guys, like two phone calls now to a follow up, you know, um, they, they could just build a database. It could be on top of AWS. There's no reason why it has to be on top of another chain. And the only reason that they're really, truly doing that, in my opinion, is that they want to be able to do a token sale. That's the real reason why they're doing it. Anything else around what they're saying to me is just BS in my opinion. So there's a lot of stuff like that. But there's some schools, there's some cool stuff out there. I think Impervious AI is really, really pretty cool. I, I was an investor in Brave and uh, it was another browser kind of thing. And I think these guys are going to crush it at Impervious and it's like peer to peer, right? So what they're doing and building on top of Bitcoin, uh, you could validate transactions as well on top of Bitcoin. There's a lot of things you can do on top of Bitcoin that I think makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be, right? For most stuff doesn't need to be. Uh, I want to also talk about some of the maybe hurdles or headwinds that Bitcoin and I hate to say it like this, but the broader crypto market has. We're seeing attacks from the EU against just Bitcoin in general. We're seeing regulatory attacks now in New York, uh, New York City. What are things that your team or you specifically are keeping an eye on that maybe impacts the way you're approaching these investments? Um, you know, I, I leave that to the regulators, but we also have some friends like I'm sure you guys know um, CJ and his team with BTC, right? Bitcoin Today Coalition and others. Um, Jason Brett and uh, Becca was on that. There was a bunch of people we know that we all kind of met on Clubhouse, by the way, which is really interesting. And it kind of just evolved into them. Kind of everybody finds their own way with with this kind of stuff. And and uh, they went down that path, right? So um, happy to support them any way I can, but it's not something I'm focused on. And uh, I don't really necessarily look at the like I said before. I don't necessarily look at it from a regulatory perspective. I look at it from an ethics perspective and what I know is the right thing and what is not the right thing to do. And does it need to be on top of a, a blockchain, like you said before? No, that makes sense. Um, I'm kind of curious what you're seeing out of the Lightning Network in particular right now. We've seen a lot of stuff and a lot of new businesses sort of emerge as ways to interact or incorporate the Lightning Network as layer two and build businesses on top of that. Um, what are your just initial thoughts? I mean, we saw Jack Mahler's do an incredible announcement to really catapult, I think, the Lightning Network. Um, what are you seeing? What are you paying attention to in that? Well, front? there's some some folks are building stuff that is like gaming on top of a Bitcoin with Lightning and the Layer 3, as they're calling it Layer 3, which is funny. You know, Jeff Booth just raised his fund uh, with Preston and Lynn as advisors to it. Uh, really interesting what they're going to be doing over there. Um, payments payments could be on top of it as well, using Lightning, obviously, with Jack Mile, you know, others uh, in that space. Um, financial apps potentially could be on top of it. Um, there's, there's a lot of different sectors and stuff that could come through that would be interesting and would be a good use case. What about Twitter? Social. Yeah. Social is another thing, right? Yeah. It's possible, right? I mean, people are like, I, I don't know, man, about you guys, but like 
Elon, I think it was Elon or maybe no, it was, uh, it was Michael Saylor. It was saying like, maybe you could validate yourself and get your blue check mark and all this kind of stuff. And then people freak out. They're like, Oh my God, well, you can't believe you'd want to pay and KYC. And I'm like, yeah, but how else do you validate? This is a perfect way to validate, right? Like I, I thought, I thought it was a great suggestion and I'm not sure why people always push back on paying for something. It's like you're either paying for it with your credit card or you're paying for it in another way. So you choose. <laughs> Absolutely. There's that old saying of, if you're not paying anything, you're probably the customer. Um, you are the product. That's right. You are the product. Thank you for fixing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit too, just about like, how has the development of businesses and technology around Bitcoin changed over your time actually paying attention to Bitcoin and your time investing in more traditional tech? versus what you're now investing in and what you're looking at. How, what are the similarities there? What are the differences? Well, I would say the one thing is most of the Bitcoin companies and the founders of Bitcoin companies that I have been experiencing is they don't have a lot of experience, right? They're great Bitcoiners. They're true Bitcoiners. That's the great part, right? But a lot of them, like I'm seeing high valuations, which are little off the charts in some cases, a um, little dis disconnected from what I've seen in traditional investing. And I think it's because there's a small audience of Bitcoin only companies and a large pool of capital that wants to get into them. So it's driving prices up and valuations and expectations. Um, but you got to meet those expectations. So if you're going to raise capital, and uh, I, I guess the way to think about it is every time you raise capital at a certain valuation, you better make sure that you have enough growth through your milestones for the next round to, to go up because if you have a down round, it's like a death spiral for these companies. So, so from a perspective of like the founders themselves, you know, they just need a little more, I think, guidance in that sense, you know? They're a little green, maybe, um, in terms of like startup experience. Not all of them, but I've, I've seen a lot of that, you know. And there's some companies that just I don't know if they'll be around in the next five years, right? When you start to look under the hood like that. Um, but and then also very specific. Sometimes they're very, very, very specific. I met with a different company the other day, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, let me tell you one story. So I invested in a company. Don't want to say the name because I'm not sure they're ready to 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 go out there. But it's insurance, right? The Bitcoin insurance. Um, uh, really interesting, right? But the main one of the main functions that they built, which they built in like two days, was the function of this entire business. So sometimes, even in the web 2.0 space, you build a product, but it's really just a feature, right? So you got to be careful that you're not just building a feature, you're building a company. And do you think you can really scale? Ask the guy a very simple question, which I have. Um, I ask all companies this, which I have this model, which I call DSD, differentiation, scalability, defensibility. You got to pass that. You got to get check marks on all three of these. Otherwise, if it's differentiated, that's great. Okay, it's cool. How do you intend to scale? Look at the founders. Do you think they're capable of doing that? Um, whatever their go-to-market strategy is, customer acquisition, whatever that is, right? Depending on the type of company. And if you get there, ultimately, is it defensible? Did you build some kind of inherent moat? So it's basically, what's the barrier to entry for other competitors once you start? And what's the barrier to exit for the users, right? If it's high, it's good, right? He didn't have a barrier to exit. He's like, well, you know, I think if we get there first, we'll just have, we'll have the best brand. <laughs> I was like... Okay, we got to work on that, buddy. <laughs> you got to figure that. And by the way, he raised millions of dollars already, which tells you that even the Bitcoin investors aren't thinking about things properly. So it's it's really an interesting space. It's very, very new, you know, very young. How much do you account for like these high valuations and Bitcoin related companies to be like, I know you've touched on the fact that like, hey, there's a lot of money that wants to be in this space, but in this, the broader private equity markets we've seen over the last two years, like valuations just drive up, up higher and higher. And then now we've seen over the last few months, especially the day of reckoning and these valuations are not getting validated and new money is coming in at lower valuations. How much of this is a direct correlation that you're seeing or how much of this is just, hey, there is just this much money in Bitcoin with a lot of new people who just don't know what they're doing. 
Yeah, I don't think it's always just the founder's fault. If you're a founder, you should take the highest valuation you could. I mean, it's, it's really kind of the investor's fault for not you know, really doing th their job, in my opinion, for what they believe that the next round could be priced at. So in some ways, it's really the, it's really the investor's fault. The entrepreneur is doing the best that he can to try to get the highest valuation and the least dilution, right? But you also have to be cognizant of what might be coming up the, up the road, right? Um, but a lot of it's not even anybody's fault other than the, probably the Federal Reserve, right? Everything is just exploding. I could tell you like in the mid-2000s, there was a handful of companies, probably less than 10, that had a billion-dollar valuation in the private markets. If you look at like CB Insights and stuff today, there's like a thousand plus internet companies that are private worth over a billion dollars. I mean, it's just a direct correlation as to what they're doing with the with the money printer, so to speak, and uh, you know, monetary policy. I think. No, absolutely. Um, I'm curious now, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to touch on like some of the other types of businesses that you're exploring, and maybe what you're seeing in those type of deals that just differ as far as the dealings in Bitcoin related companies. Like I said, there's, there's a variety of different um, sectors and verticals that you look at. I mean, there's not that many things that could probably be built. Like there's, there's infinite numbers of things that could be built, right? Do they all need to be on top of Bitcoin, as we said earlier? So like the kind of the categories to think about is like um, social, financial, payments, gaming. Um, I don't even know. Uh, podcasting, maybe. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things that you could do on top, of, on top of Bitcoin. And there's a lot of things that you don't need to do on top of Bitcoin. So I don't know exactly what you want me to just kind of touch on any further than that. I mean, no, I'm, like I'm more looking like, let's, let's like uh, separate from Bitcoin for a moment. Cause I know that you also invest in just tech sure. and bio, biomed and stuff. What do those type of deals look like in relation to the deals that you're making in Bitcoin companies? How hands-on are you dealing with these type of founders who maybe have a little bit more experience? Maybe you have other types of investors coming in as well versus a Bitcoin-centric ecosystem that's really building up these companies. Yeah, I'll give you an example. It's one of my best investments that I have right now. It's a private company. It's called Rumby, R-U-M-B-Y. Uh, the founder is this guy, Ben Canty, a uh, great guy, sold his last company for about 30 million bucks. So he passes the test of a founder with prior experience, established history, all that. Came to me with this idea a few years ago. <laughs> I was an investor in Rover.com when it was called Dog VK, coming out of Science Inc. I was one of the first investors back in the day. Um, so it's a marketplace type of business. I love marketplaces because if you kick ass in a marketplace, you basically build a monopoly, right? Um, and so he reached out because I built, I, I've invested in those types of companies. There's a few others that I built that I invested in that were marketplace businesses too. Um, in fact, all the companies I ever built were basically marketplace supply demand type of businesses, you know? Um, so uh, he reached out and uh, he's done phenomenally well. You know, this is a kind of business that doesn't need to be in. There's nothing it relates to Bitcoin in any way. Right. There, there, but there is a need for it. Right. It's an on demand Uber for blank. Right. In this case, laundry and dry, dry cleaning. Um, but yeah, I mean, so like I, I look at all types of deals and I invest in stuff that, that's outside of this space because there's infinite numbers of things that you could invest in that don't have to necessarily be in Bitcoin. Now, from my Bitcoin friends, they're like, why would you make investments outside of space? I can tell you this. When I was in, when I invested in that company, it did like $3,000 in monthly revenue. This month, he's doing over $3 million in monthly revenue. It's like two years later, far pace, outpacing the, the growth of Bitcoin, right? Um, but, I, you know, you put all your money in that. It, it's, it's a crapshoot. You don't know if it'll work, right? So in terms of uh, marketplaces that are actually built on Bitcoin um, and don't have a lot of exposure right now, not a lot of liquidity in them, have you ever looked at the Bitcoin NFT community? Like Rare Pepe's or? Yeah, yeah. Like just like that. City. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I did, actually. I looked at Scarce. Um, I, I, I passed on that deal. Um, Jason did that deal. Jason Williams and a few of my friends, Brad Mills and others. I just passed because I just didn't think that um, 
I don't know. I just, I, you just have to have a feel for it. And I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I, I hope it works. I'm not saying I, I think it's not going to work. I just wasn't getting it. You know, it just didn't feel like it was going to make it so to speak. And, and it probably will. Right. I passed on a lot of shit, dude. I passed on Kraken in December of 2013 guys. So, so it's not like I'm the Oracle of making the right decision all the time. I met Ed Williams at a party years ago. And like, uh, I think it was like November, December of 2006. And he told me about Twitter. I'm like, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> then the iPhone came out like six months later. I was like, okay, I think I understand what he's trying to do now, you know, but these entrepreneurs, sometimes they have a vision that I can't even see, right? That's why they're great. And, uh, and frankly, he probably does too. And I, I might not be seeing that, you know, um, but I think that there's, there's a potential that that could be huge. Cause if he gets there, it's a marketplace business, right? He'll have the supply and the demand. It will be just perpetual growth, you know, but it's like open sea for Bitcoin NFTs basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Scarcity is one version of that. But it's just it's always curious to me that they uh, I guess they have all the VC funding that Ethereum winds up with all these crazy NFTs. Like, I think we can all agree that they're here to stay. I'm not arguing whether or not they're good, but yeah, there's clearly a demand for them. No doubt. I mean, this is the other thing we talk about, too, my friends. And they're like, oh, it's going to zero. I'm like, bro, it ain't going to zero. You don't see something get the five billion dollars in monthly transaction volume and go to zero. It's not going to zero. Right. This is a real thing. I actually think that NFTs, I have no problem with NFTs personally. I think Corey, Corey from Swan, you know, Corey Clipson, he said it best. He's like, NFTs are not the enemy of Bitcoin. I agree with him 100% on that. It's like, this is a real thing. Um, it's probably going to morph away from JPEGs. I certainly hope so, because that's just pure speculation into maybe like skins inside games and people are trading that and all this kind of stuff, right? Like in, in the metaverse, as they call it, or basically like they're all like second life and stuff, right? So like all that kind of stuff, I can see that evolving. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Meta, Facebook, right? Or somebody else that owns that. Somebody will, but there's going to be an ecosystem built around that. And it's going to be a multi-hundred billion dollar, if not trillion plus industry, I'm sure over time, right? If you go, if you kind of project out. Um, I'm just not investing in that stuff, but I'm not saying that you can't make a lot of money doing it. I have a friend that made a ton of money doing NFTs. He got in on the drop for Bored Apes and he has over a hundred of them still. Uh, my buddy, John Gilardi, shout out to John. Right? Uh, he cr He's crushing it in NFTs, right? But it's highly speculative. And I look at it like when you, what they're currently doing, the current version of NFTs, I view it like um, almost like fantasy football, their strategy, skill, and luck involved, right? Um, if you understand how to play that game, I think you do really well. Most people are going to get their faces ripped off. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand how to go through rarity tools and check out all the different rarities and how to get the drops. It's a diversification play. You need a lot of capital if you're going to play trading NFTs, if you're like a trader on that. You know, a lot of capital because you got to diversify and something like that. So if the average person's like, yeah, man, I'm going to go buy one of these things for like fucking 10 grand. It's like, you're going to get your face ripped off. Like, that's not the way to play that game. If you got 10 grand, go buy Bitcoin. Um, if you got a million dollars and you're willing to lose it all, go play in the NFT space. You might be able to have some fun, right? And maybe you'll get lucky. <laughs> so quick, quick, sorry, Q, I just want to do while we're on this, beat, just a quick follow-up. Uh, in terms of physical art, were you ever an investor of, uh, you know, real real art, stuff like that? No, no, I'm not into that. But Jason, we talked about Jason. He is, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got real art. Um, uh, Felocious, right? He bought bought some of Felocious uh, yeah, work. Yeah. Um, pretty cool shit too, man. I mean, the physical stuff's really yeah. cool. The digital stuff, I don't know how much value it'll hold over time. Maybe it will. I don't know. I'm not here to say it will or won't. It probably will, right? Because it, it's it becomes like you become a brand, right? You become the next Picasso of today. And maybe Felocious is that, right? It's quite possible. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that came out that was really cool. But there's just like my buddy, John, he has 55,000 NFTs in his wallets and he has like hundreds of wallets, right? I mean, dude, it's a whole different ball game, man. His life is just glued to the screen. It looks like he has a, like a day trading environment with all these screens and stuff. They're stacked on top of each other. It's like, 
I don't think people realize what the winners are doing in this space, right? If they only saw John's space, they'd, they'd run the other way because he's there to take your money. <laughs> I, I kind of want to keep going down this rabbit hole with you for a little bit. Um, I love the analogy of likening NFT trading and investing to that of fantasy football. I've, I've written papers on how investing and trading in the stock market is literally just fantasy football all over again. Yeah. Um, so I do see that correlation in that explanation. Um, I personally think the technology behind NFTs are great. And to your point, like let's stop using JPEGs because I just love trolling everyone and right-clicking and saving your NFT and I'm posting it somewhere else that it's me doing it. Just so you know, if you need to send a cease and desist letter, send it to, I guess. By the way, FYI, I can't say who the people are that are talking about this, but there's going to be a company that is going to enforce the copyrights on those NFTs. Bring that's crazy on they're going to be suing Bring everybody <laughs> so that's a whole nother thing that's going to happen and it's going to look suing the whole world exactly um, <laughs> but they will they just it's just like any like a patent troll right they just pick off the individuals that they want to go after usually a whale or something like that right they'll just go after people that have money for settlements but i mean it's it's a thing you know uh, i want to play a, a quick lightning round game with you jay where i'm going to throw out just like ideas like ticket sales and does that something like that belong on a blockchain. So we'll start right there. Ticket, ticket sales. sales? I could yeah. see it happening. I, I, I don't know if it, I, I can't be the one to, to decide, decide what does belong or what doesn't, but could no, it happen? Course. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's something that makes sense with NFTs and stuff, you know, and you could build it on top of Bitcoin. Yeah. What about actual deeds and more like for the house, not a virtual house? Yeah. See, this is the house. thing, right? This is the Oracle problem in some ways. And it's, you could say the same for the other, but the actual asset itself at that point could be like the token itself, you know, on your phone, that could be it. I mean, the problem is, how do you enforce, right? With with a contract like that, if you, if you're if you're having an issue, you're gonna have to go through the legal system anyway. So I don't I don't see how that's you could do it, and I'm sure they will, right? And I'm sure it's happening, right? But I mean, doesn't theoretically make a lot of sense. What about? And I'm stealing this one from Reddit, uh, specifically Wall Street Bets, where some kids apparently really like the idea of introducing stocks onto the blockchain. What are your thoughts there? I think you probably could do that, right? Um, you, you know, I think you probably could do that. I don't know that, like, again, it's, it's all about enforcement. At the end of the day, it's the enforcement if there's violations and stuff, right? Because then you have to go back through the legal system. But in terms of like efficiencies and speed and stuff like that, it's basically just database, right? Uh, and what about like- the By the way, sorry, one more point on follow-up mm -hmm. on the stocks, because I was one of the people that said when, when the GameStop thing happened, that it would be great if they had blockchain, primarily for the transparency of it, right? Um, cause there's no transparency, what was happening there. So having transparency and understanding what's happening while it's happening, I think would maybe have prevented something like that, or at least exposed it, you know? Fair. I mean, I just think the entire stock market is a, a nice little casino uh, that undoubtedly, right. Q undoubtedly, but like, here's the thing we were all in, even as it was happening with that. And I'm friends with, uh, this guy, Howard Lindzen, Howard is uh, social leverage. Uh, uh, he's the GP over at silver leverage, uh, and then the founder of stock twitch, you guys probably heard of that. And, um, he was the first, one of the first investors in, um, in Robinhood. He put a million dollars in, it grew to a hundred million dollars plus had fantastic investment. Um, uh, he didn't see that coming. Right. And then as this all started to happen and unfold, we still didn't know what was going on. Like who was doing what, who was helping who, like that whole thing with Citadel was like, wait, what? So maybe the blockchain would expose where the money flows happening and what's, you know, cause it's all transparent. Maybe that, maybe, I don't know. No, it's fair. I mean, there's just, 
in that to strengthen your argument, I think there's so much insider information that if you sort of are in that club, you get access to, but like none of us here, maybe you do, Jay. And if you do feel free to slip us some of that Intel, but like, I don't, when I go on my E-Trade account to make some trades. I got no info. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, One more that I want to throw out or a couple more. Uh, curriculums, education, introducing that to the blockchain. Do you think that's a viable? I, 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 I don't know how that, you'd have to explain to me what you mean and how that would make sense for that. But I, I, why not just do what they're doing at Khan and everywhere else, you know? And you know This follow-up I think will help extra, uh, really paint the picture. Introducing books or newspapers onto the blockchain. What are your thoughts there? Does that belong there? It, 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 but what are you, how are you doing that? You're just associating the hash to the book? Like, I don't mm-hmm. quite understand. I mean, it's like an NFT at that point, right? No, it, it would be exactly what you've described. Like each yeah. book would have its own sort of block. It's like an ISB number instead. It's the it's the hash, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then that there's way, there's no. Uh, you could market it, but it, all that stuff would be better on a database. Yeah, it's basically not, what not you're saying blockchain. to me is database, right? All this is just that's, database. That's the yeah. point of the game, man. Does it belong on a blockchain? Or the not? point I'm is, not, those I'm not things, saying that I support I these. I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm just the what, talking I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is on the financial stuff, it totally makes sense from the transparency perspective because there's no manipulation potentially, right? And from that point, it's immutable. You can't, it, it, you know, you can't, you can't screw around and change the ledger, right? So from that perspective, the flow of funds and seeing where the money's going and coming, there might be some benefits to that. Now, Jimmy Song will be in my ear going, what are you fucking talking about? No, it doesn't need to be on the blockchain. <laughs> So I'm not Jimmy's like hundred percent with him. when he comes on. Dude, Jimmy's going to be like, nothing belongs on a blockchain. Only Bitcoin. It's the only thing. And maybe he's right. <laughs> I'm going to set you up to either look like a, a dope Bitcoiner or you might get ripped apart. But like, oh, is God. there a different, is there a different side project or altcoin that you genuinely like are curious about or like, no, all <laughs> right. <laughs> King of Bitcoin lives on. <laughs> um, Talk to us a little bit now about just sort of, we've, we've briefly touched on the public markets. We've talked a little bit about sort of the Fed's impact and the private markets valuations. Um, I love asking this question. I've been asked by some people to literally not ask them this question anymore. The NASDAQ and the Bitcoin are so correlated right now. Oh, NASDAQ 100, <laughs> over 90%. Talk to us a little bit about what your thoughts are on why this correlation is happening. Why it's happening, um, I think it's viewed as a risk on asset, right? So uh, I think Michael Saylor heard him on CNBC yesterday morning. He actually said it best. He said, there's three types of folks that own Bitcoin today. There's the maximalists, there's the technocrats, and uh, there's the traders. He goes, and unfortunately for all of us, the traders are the ones that are moving it because the other two, for the most part, we're not trading, we're just hodling, right? So the movement and the price action are the traders. These are the Wall Street folks that believe that this is a risk on asset. So when when the other risk on assets are going up and down, then they're trading this as well, for whatever reason, that's how they're trading it. And they're trading it based on volatility for the most part. So it's a volatility trade for them. Um, so that's what's really mostly why I think it's happening. What, you know, I think the probably the follow-up question is, when do you think you see that not happening or decoupling? I would say that the decouple on that is probably going to be when you get it into more people's hands, right? So Bruce Fenton, who's running for Senate, right? We all know Bruce. Bruce, great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce is on Clubhouse a couple weeks ago. And he was like, I don't know what the Fed's doing. Like, why, why not the Fed? Um, uh, Gensler, right? He's like, I don't know what Gensler's doing um, over at the SEC. He's like, why hasn't he approved this? It's like, just so ridiculous. And my, our, our close friend, our, you know, my buddy, Joe Carlos Sala, he's like, what are you crazy? He's like, this is great. I don't want it there. And it's like, well, why, why don't we want an ETF? What, scratching my head and I'm trying to think, you know, I'm like, you know, Joe's way smarter than me. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe he's got, maybe he's onto something here. Um, so I was trying to figure it out. And he's saying, because 
I think it's bad for people to get introduced to Bitcoin through a custodial account. They're not really understanding Bitcoin. They don't have self-sovereignty and they're not, they're not holding on to their own Bitcoin and their own keys, et cetera. Okay. I understand that. Um, we said, well, what about the number go up? He goes, fuck number go up. I don't care if number goes up. Eventually it will go up. And I'm like, okay, so here's the problem. In my opinion, humbly, right? What the fuck do I know? My opinion is that uh, the, the estimate is that what? A hundred million people, I think roughly, roughly, roughly have Bitcoin, right? And entities, 100 million is what they estimate. Uh, there's been 19 million full Bitcoins issued, right? So there's a high concentration because when you look at the number of people that have a net worth above $10,000, it's like 2.5 billion people globally out of almost 8 billion people, right? It's pretty small. It's, it's something like 4% of the people that could own Bitcoin own Bitcoin, right? Um, and it's really concentrated at the top, as we all know, just like all wealth is, Right. Um, so you figure you have like 50 to 60 million people that have a net worth above a million. And there's about five to 600 million people that have a net worth between a hundred thousand and a million. And then the rest of them have a 10,000 to a hundred thousand dollar net worth. Right. Um, so there's a concentration of about 4%, unfortunately for that. And then the bottom, I think it's like the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world own something like 85% of the assets in the world. And the bottom 50% of the wealth in the world is owned by, they, the bottom 50% only owns 1%. This is just globally, not Bitcoin, I'm saying, right? Just global assets, right? Which is around 500 trillion today. Um, so my thing is, I think you're going to see the, the, the small concentration of holders of Bitcoin distributing their Bitcoin in the future when they finally think it makes sense to sell their Bitcoin. And ain't selling it, if you're smart, at $40,000, guys, right? So you're not going to see a distribution into the people hands. How are you going to see it? Number has to go up. Number goes up. And when that goes up, it's about expected return moving forward as an investor holding onto an asset. Now I debate this with Bitcoin Tino all the time. We talk on the phone all the time. stuff. So he doesn't agree with me on this. And a lot of people don't. Um, but I, I believe that you're going to see, you're going to encourage, it's going to be more encouraging to people to say, I can get, I can invest in some other type of asset that will have future expected returns better than what I think Bitcoin will be. How do we get there? Um, the way I look at it is you pull out a, a compound, I don't have it in front of me, but you pull out a compound interest calculator, you take the current value of Bitcoin, and then you, whatever you think it's going to perform at moving forward, right? We have $500 trillion in assets. So you'd have to have the other assets like leaving and flowing out of those assets into this asset. So we have what, what like around 1 trillion-ish, roughly 800 billion to just, 1 trillion, Just right? a little under that. Yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> but say it's one trillion out of the five hundred. That's a pretty small percentage, actually, of global asset value. It's really like a blip in the radar, actually, for 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 anybody who's really looking. Um, but like for that to really to have, so that basically means we have like a I don't know what you think the future expected return is, but Sailor said he thinks it's around ten million or so, right? Some people think it's five ten. Some people think it's going to be all of the global asset, which makes no sense. There's utility value to assets, right? So let's say it's two hundred trillion dollars in the future. You have a two hundred x in front of you at one trillion. Right. Um, so why would you sell your Bitcoin? You're an idiot to sell your Bitcoin if you think that that's what the future value is in your lifetime. Right. But if it goes from one to sorry, from uh, from 40,000 to one million dollars and you think it's going to go to five, you only have a 500 percent growth in the future. So what's the future comp compounded growth? And then you have to compare that to other opportunities you may have with your money. And that's when you'll start seeing it being more di um, distributed out. Um, so I think when you get more hands on Bitcoin over time, you'll see less volatility in Bitcoin as well, right? Um, and I think you see a decoupling at that point from the NASDAQ. I think people understand it's a store of value at that point. I, I want to get one clarifying point. When we're talking about getting into the hands of more people, are you then talking about just like the total Bitcoin users, i.e. like total wallets expanding? Or are you talking about expanding or taking away from sort of that top 1% of holders and their total value and having that more spread evenly across all people of different net worths. Yeah, what I'm saying is currently 
right? And I don't know within that 100 million, I wasn't qualifying what no, bracket they're in, right? So I'm not saying that of the 100 million, you know, if there's 100 million, just FYI, there's only 50 million millionaires, right? 60 million millionaires, something like that. Um, so I don't think most of the millionaires own Bitcoin at this point, right? There's not enough Bitcoin, by the way, we all say this all the time. Um, there's not enough Bitcoin for everyone, for one full Bitcoin to go to every millionaire, right? So by the way, if you're a millionaire, you need to get your hands on a full Bitcoin now, okay? Because <laughs> you're going to fuck up, okay? Um, I tell this to my friends that still don't own Bitcoin. Like, I don't need to own Bitcoin. I'm like, someday you will, and you'll wish you had some, right? That you'll Because you'll have to buy it at the higher price in the future, right? So what I'm saying is for the volatility to smooth and to decouple from the NASDAQ or, or risk on assets, I think it's got to get it to more people's hands and understand that this is a reserve asset that they need to have, right? Uh, rather than sitting in cash and being debased, right? Um, we understand that argument. People aren't doing it yet. Um, and I think mostly because it's not being sold and that needs to be number go up. And I think one of the ways the number goes up faster is an ETF potentially, right? Um, that might be one way. I don't know. There could be some other ways to do that. There could be ways for a number to go up without distributing it too. There could be things that are built on top of Bitcoin that could lock up Bitcoin, takes it out of the supply, out of the market, which obviously less supply in the market and more demand, increasing demand, the number, number will go up too. But over time, it will you, you will be encouraged to want to sell your Bitcoin based on what you believe that expected return, future expected return is on, on your asset. Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting too, because I think while we know number goes up and I'd say we're all kind of hardened Bitcoiners, or at least Bitcoiners in my mind, uh, I still think that Wall Street and and that group are still going to try and play games with rehypothecating Bitcoin or you know basically taking out leveraged loans and getting uh, out over their skis or you know over their head in water. I guess so. While I do see it smoothing out over time, I think we still got a bunch more bumps in the road between now and then. Uh, I guess do you see that Jay with like institutions with trying to you know they get a bunch of Bitcoin and then we're going to take out a loan that at a risky loan to value or at least that's what I see as. Uh, I guess what are your thoughts on that? For sure. I mean, one of the things that's happening right now is that they get levered and then it drops down a couple of percentage points and they have to unload because of the leverage, right? So yeah, there's no question. The question is, um, if you can get uh, the number of the, you know, the value of Bitcoin distributed to more people, they, they have less of an impact when that happens. So right now there's a high concentration traders on wall street are like manipulating and trading and they're, and they're impacting because they're in the float and most people are just sitting and you don't impact the price on a day-to-day -day basis if you're just sitting on it. So it's really just what's happening in the float. Yeah, that makes sense. Q, I'll send it back to you. Genuinely curious, like when was the last time you actually checked the price of Bitcoin? On a I check day? it every day. I know Jason piped it. I don't check Bitcoin price. <laughs> I check it every day. I'm not checking it all the time. I don't even know what it is today. I just like I directionally just watch it and I'm like, where is it going directionally? I have no intent on selling it. I have no limit orders to sell. I have no limit orders to buy. I, I own Bitcoin. I've had Bitcoin for a while. I sit on it. I'm not a DCA. I had money, so I went in with money. You know, um, so I'm not dollar cost averaging. I don't have a job. You know, I'm not like doing it on a weekly basis or something like that. Um, you know, I, I do watch it though. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch it, right? Shit, it's fucking a lot of my net worth is in there, so I am watching it. I'm just not hawking it all day long. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit though about just sort of like most people that we talk to, all three of us included, we DCA on a regular basis. Like sure. talk to us a little bit about like the risk allocation of taking a lump sum and going into Bitcoin and what, how you calculated that out. Yeah, there was a guy on, um, if you guys watch, uh, I used to watch CNBC years ago and I was trading stocks and stuff and uh, downtown Josh Brown, I think he calls himself, right? So he's, uh, I can't remember the name of his firm, but he's, uh, he's at a wealth management firm and uh, they did an analysis on this. The guy that works for him did analysis, um, whether there was like a study and whether or not dollar cost averaging or DCA makes more sense. It was something like, and this is equity markets, it's not Bitcoin, right? It's something like 90 something percent of the time DCA beats it. The funny thing is you don't want to, I think it was 95. 
95% of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you guys afterwards. It's like 95% of the time, uh, lump sum beats dollar cost averaging. It makes sense because we have inflation and markets just go up over time. So if you're dollar cost averaging, you're going to have a higher cost over time. Um, but so if you come into money, it probably makes sense in my opinion, and I'm not giving financial advice, but what I would probably do is I would put half the money in as a lump sum and then hedge my bet on that by DCing the other half for say five years or something like that. And you'll get a smoothed out price. And if you have a downturn for five years, if there's a possibility that we have some kind of a crazy drought, like 17 all into 20 kind of, yeah, you might get a better price on the other half. And if you, if you put half of it in at like 17, right, that sucks. You're at 18,000, but then you go all the way down to like 30, $3,800 all the way into 20, you know, 2019. It's like, you know, 2020 rather. And so you got a really good, you know, maybe, maybe your average cost drops down to like 9,000 over time. And then also if you're dollar cost averaging and you see dips, you should be going a little bit heavier on those dips. I always think that that makes more sense, you know? Um, but I've never really been a dollar cost average. I, I've, I've had windfalls in, in to make my wealth, you know, like I believe you create wealth through leverage and equity, right? That's, you know, and luck. Right? So there's a little bit of luck in life too. Um, but like you, you got to have leverage, right? And, and some equity. And when I mean leverage, I don't mean leverage by borrowing money. I mean, you have to have leverage with um, how you ra maybe raise capital from people. You don't have to necessarily borrow money like from a bank account or second mortgage your house to buy Bitcoin. I'm not in the camp that I think people should be doing that. I know Michael Saylor's doing that. <laughs> As he said to Scaramucci recently, he's like, you know, you're not, you're not long enough, Smooch, which I thought was a great pause line because <laughs> he he goes i'm long bitcoin he goes you're not long enough <laughs> and then he's I, like i'm 500 man <laughs> so if we're looking now i mean we're about two years exactly if block time remains an average of 10 minutes we're two years out from the halving so what do you think the rest of this uh, market will bring until the next halving? I'm not a predictor either, so I can't tell you. I mean, who knows, right? I think it's number go up, <laughs> right? So I'm pretty sure we're going to be much higher by the end of the year. I just had uh, Jordy Visser on my show. Uh, he's the president and the CIO at Weiss uh, Multi-Strategy Assets, $4 billion hedge fund. Big Bitcoin guy. I mean, he kept talking about Web3 and crypto and things like that. They're a little confused, those guys, but um, I'll get them up the curve. <laughs> um, but but he, but he totally believes in Bitcoin as a reserve asset. He thinks people should be buying uh, Bitcoin. And he thinks that the price is going to double by the end of the year. Um, you know, and this is just analysis that he's been doing based off of where the equity markets are. And, it's, and it is not decoupled, to your point, to the NASDAQ. It is correlated. And he actually thinks that we're up for the year on the S&P by the end of the year. Although, interestingly, he was saying that he thinks that the NASDAQ will not perform so well, but he thinks Bitcoin will. So maybe he's saying it might decouple a little bit from that and just be coupled with just stocks in general, maybe. But Definitely. I think it's because, you know, the NASDAQ has been a little bit overvalued for the last few years. If you just look at some of these things, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to point out companies names or anything like that. But if you just look at somebody's P.E. Ah, ratios, like, two, yeah, right. 200 X and, you know, 500 X. It's like uh, on their P.E. It's like, what are we talking about? Like I sold my company for six times earnings when I sold my business. That was not a great uh, multiple, by the way. But still, I mean, if the company did not grow and did not shrink, it would only take six years to pay off that through the earnings, right? So what's the growth that they're expecting that they're paying like 500X on, on a company? Like, And people don't view this. Like Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. He's like, you're not buying a stock, you're buying the company. You're just buying a portion of the company. Think of it as if, if I bought the whole company right now, right? That's how you have to think about a stock. Like, would you buy the whole company for 200 times its earnings? Would you ever get your money back? What are you thinking about, right? So I don't think people are thinking they're just, they're just, it's a, it's a store of value, right? They're like, well, I just believe it's going to go up. It's greater fool's theory. They're going to buy this stock and they think there's gonna be another sucker down the line. It's going to buy it at a higher price. But at some point, the day of reckoning may come. Maybe we're there.
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much I buy into this idea that the S and P five hundred is going to have an up year. We're about to watch the most difficult maneuver ever by the Fed to increase rates, combat inflation, stop buying shitty bonds, and then at the same time they're going to just inevitably either have to commit to letting our entire economy sort of default buckle and collapse for a period of time, or they're just going to go back to printing more money, boosting up the stock market. Quantitative easing is never going to go away. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on just this idea of where the dollar fits into all of these equations and where Bitcoin sort of also fits into that equation there, what your expectations are with Fed money printing, what your expectations are with rate hikes and inflation over the course of just this year. Yeah, well, I guess I guess the short of it is that they're probably to get out of this. Because to your point, we're probably going to have a problem, right? I mean, just statistically speaking, probabilistically, it doesn't look like it's going to have. A, we're going to be successful in a soft landing. Maybe they will be. Um, the only time that we ever had inverted on the yield curve that there's been a soft landing, I think, was 1994. And there's a there's a there's a huge gap right now um, between uh, basically where inflation is at and where the Fed funds rate is. It's like quarter point. Inflation's like eight percent plus. It's the largest gap we've ever seen when there was an inversion. So like you could say that 94, they had a soft landing, but you know, it just wasn't the same, right? It's, it's different, right? Like the old saying, it's different this time. Um, but this time it is different and it's different basically for the same result, unfortunately, right? Which is probably a recession. Now, um, there's been banks that are coming out like Deutsche Bank and others that are saying that they think you're going to have a recession um, where we have a, a negative GDP in Q4 and then in Q1 of next year, and then we'll just come out of it. And why do you think we're going to come out of it? Because the Fed's going to have to step in. They're going to lower interest rates and they're probably going to turn on the money printer again, right? There's going to be UBI or something happening. Something's going to happen. And that's obviously positive for Bitcoin, right? So on the other side of this, it's all great for Bitcoin. Love that. Where or how do you think Bitcoin sort of fits into that equation? I know I'm asking speculative questions and I know you're not a fortune teller, but just in your mind, where are your expectations? Maybe like 70% of it is going in this direction or there's a chance it goes in another direction. In, in terms of the price? In terms or what of you Bitcoin adoption on, on US domestic soil. Yeah, I think, uh, okay. So one of the things that we saw recently over the last um, six months or so is uh like I think the world's waking up to this is the censorship resistant part, right? So I think that's going to be really strong for Bitcoin moving forward where more and more, by the way, I have a bunch of friends that are hedge fund guys and because they were some of my angel investors and I just became friends with a bunch of their friends and stuff. And um, they're starting to see the under, they're starting to really understand the value of Bitcoin as a result of like what we saw with the trucker convoy and even with Russia saying we might want to accept Bitcoin, which, you know, it's kind of noise, but, but the fact that they're even saying that El Salvador, et cetera. Right. Um, and now you guys are telling me, what was it in Africa? I guess they just central African Republic. Interesting. Yeah. So like, and I didn't even know that like you said when you, when you came on, um, I think you're going to increasingly see that right. Um, other countries are no different. Like, it's really interesting. Most of the world, is really based off of the U.S. dollar, right? Their currency is our currency, but they rely on us, our our government, um, for their shortfall. Whereas the American people, we don't have anybody to rely on, right? We have to figure out how to diversify ourselves for um, the debasement, right? Um, but if you're relying on the government, like you, you, or the U.S. government rather, and you're another country, you would like to be able to get away from that, right? Because we're controlling you at that point, right? Um, so the U.S. dollar is a form of control, right, for our for our government with other governments. Um, so I think increasingly you're you're probably going to see. Um, other countries waking up to this and saying well, I, they're going to embrace Bitcoin as a result of that. 
Um, I think it's why Max, uh, you know, Kaiser is just so, so um, he's pushing so much on the El Salvador thing. I think it's, I don't think it necessarily even is about El Salvador. It's a small little country, right? The GDP is like nothing. It's about a movement. And that's the first, you know, domino to fall. And so you want that, you want to embrace that. All Bitcoiners should embrace what they're doing so that other countries fall in line that are small. And when you have other small companies collectively doing this, it becomes a bigger uh, it comes bigger and bigger and people start to wake up in the U S and, and abroad that maybe they should also, um, be adopting Bitcoin for those same reasons. Is there though, like a concern when we talk about, for example, Russia now saying that, Oh, we'll accept Bitcoin for our oil amidst all these sanctions. Like my homeland of Iran has always been using Bitcoin now since about like 2016, just through VPNs to like avoid government oversight and people keeping an eye on them. North Korea potentially looking at Bitcoin in some capacity, like some of these people that in America, we don't necessarily think of those countries as our allies, is one of those countries or any adversary in general adopting Bitcoin, does that sort of paint Bitcoin, domestically speaking, as sort of the enemy almost? Yeah, if you're Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> right? So, so I mean, some of these politicians will try to use that in their toolkit, right? Um, as to why they want it. But the truth is they just want to control people, right? That's what that really is all about. Um, so, you know, the cash is probably the biggest uh, use of dirty money in the world when you think about it, actual physical cash, right? Whether it's the drug cartels or, I mean, wh who's the richest man ever lived on this planet other than, uh, you know- Pablo Escobar. Yeah, well, it really wasn't Pablo Escobar. I think it was uh, Man Mansa Musa or whatever. Yeah, but brother, let's just say it's Pablo, right? Because that's who I was leading to, right? Um, he was hiding his cash in like this, in the walls and d digging up holes in the ground. I mean, they just had so much cash, right? It wasn't Bitcoin, guys, right? This is the 80s. It was cash. And they're still doing this today with cash, right? So they're trying to build, they're trying to create a CBDC, again, about control, right? And that's going to confuse a lot of people, unfortunately, for in the short term, right? They're going to be like, well, what do I need Bitcoin for? We have a CBDC now. But if you look what they did in Canada and they froze everybody's assets and they came after people like Jeff Booth and others, like it's incredible what's happening up there. And uh, this is supposedly a free democratic society, right? We are like one decision away from that happening here. And if you can't see that, you got to open your eyes a little wider. What's happening here? Um, so, yeah, it could be like a political thing. And that's why we have CJ and all those folks in D.C. trying to educate people on Bitcoin. And it's really important. And I think they'll continue to do that. And they'll, they'll make inroads there. They wrote the book. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but they wrote a book as well. And uh, they're giving out. It was really just like an informational book to just give to the politicians to understand. Learn about Bitcoin. Understand the, the, the qualities and the, and the characteristics and properties of Bitcoin that make it a strong um, the strongest, hardest money ever as, as Jason's book, right? You know, what, what um, is it called? Bitcoin, hard money Bitcoin. you can't fuck with, right? Yeah, great book. hard money great you book, can't fuck with. And then CJ had the Bitcoin, the American dream with Jimmy and, and countless others. Yep. Um, um, and both of those books I, I, are, are great, you know, and I didn't read uh, uh, CJ's book, but I've heard a lot of people that told me it's a great book. I did read Jason's book. Fantastic book. I always tell people, by the way, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, go to VJ's, um, VJ Boyapati's, uh, uh, his Medium yes. article. It's yes. probably the best way to start because it walks you through, like, as he calls it, the bullish case for Bitcoin. It really walks you through. And, and by the way, the one thing I love about what he did, I think it was really intelligent because he also tells you what the risks are to Bitcoin. Most Bitcoiners don't want to talk about the risks. There's a risk to everything in the world, right? It's just about managing risk, right? And so there are risks to anything. And the government is a risk, like it, in terms of adoption, it's not going to kill it, but it is an issue in terms of like, do we want to get adopted in the next five or 10 or 20 years? Or do you want to wait 40 years because the government's making it so goddamn hard? I got one comment that I keep forgetting to just say, and then a question, Jason, respond to my DMs. I want to invite you on to the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then my question to you, Jay, and we touched on it. Like you're absolutely He's right. He's probably you afraid you're going to rip him up on the red pet base. <laughs> Just tell no, him to leave him alone. Friends. We're all friends. Eric. Norris yeah. We'll talk to him about Pepe's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alex, Alex is a, an, a Bitcoin NFT holder. He owns a Bitcoin war bond. Um, <laughs> but the question I want to present to you, and you touch on it a little bit, like, my favorite thing to send around when anyone is curious about learning about Bitcoin is VJ's Medium article, The Bullish Case for Bitcoin. Yeah, love it. There are a lot of people who watch our show who debat or who are, I guess, uh, exploring shit coins or maybe are down the wrong path and still pay attention to us and what we say. Um, maybe just what advice or what would you kind of say to them, anyone listening who straddles both Bitcoin and crypto and why you think that they should be focused entirely on Bitcoin? Okay, so there's there's it's nuanced, right? Like if you're somebody that's been in Bitcoin for a while and you understand Bitcoin and you're doing that, then you're just gambling. And that's okay. In my opinion, that's okay. I'm not I'm not advocating it. I'm certainly not supporting it, but I'm saying I don't judge you and I'm not the moral police. I'm not here to tell people what to do with their money. The one thing I can't stand about the Bitcoin maximalism is when you're telling other people how to act, talk, or what to say or do. Guys, we're libertarians, aren't we? What the fuck are we doing? Like that, I just don't believe in that crap. So if someone wants to go risk their own money and do that kind of stuff, sure. If you're a shit coiner and you're creating the coin, that's a different that's a different ballgame. If you're participating because you're trying to flip money to get more Bitcoin, which is what Jason does, right? Um, in terms of like some of the NFT shit that he talks about, he's just a Bitcoin money maximalist, as he says, right? He's not necessarily not a Bitcoin maximalist, right? And like, what are we, what is a Bitcoin maximalist? You know, there's different versions and definitions for this crap. You know, um, my perspective on it though is if you're in that space and you're doing that stuff and you're promoting it and you're luring people in for a pump and dump, that's bad. I, I, I disagree with that. Right. But if you're just kind of like messing around with it and you understand, because that's one person for the people that are coming in new and they're like, well, I just don't know. I need 80% in Bitcoin and 20% Ethereum. They just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Go read the paper again. The paper being the white paper or the paper? Yeah, being no, no. Well, the white paper for sure, right? But I'm saying go read uh, go read BJ's thing. It's probably the easiest thing to consume. It's very easily digestible. I think it's the easiest place to start, you know? And then you go down your path, right? And then, by the way, I, I recently had Alex on, on my show. Um, and uh, check your financial privilege, man. That's another one I think everybody, particularly the, the Northeast New York elites, right? Read that damn book, man. Yeah, great book. Love it, you know? Um, read that, right? You, you need to read that because... Uh, what people don't realize, even in the United States, is like, I have a beautiful house, nice cars, all this shit. And then people give you looks at the red light or whatever. Neighbors make comments to other neighbors. It comes back to you. And it's like, bro, like, look at yourself. You have a house and a car. You may not have my house and my car, but there's people in the world. They ain't got shit. They're living in lean to still. Like, check your financial privilege, bro. You know, we all have a different, we're all in different, we're all in pecking orders, right? So to speak, right? And into where we are financially and stuff. Um, and so I think everybody needs to read that book as well, you know? Uh, I'll age the three of us and I won't group you into us, but like, you know, right now what we're dealing with inflation wise, like it's never been the case in my lifetime. I've never bore witness to this or had to deal with these repercussions, but that's not the case everywhere else in the world. Like, again, my home country of Iran yeah. has a hundred percent inflation in two years in Turkey, Incredible. over 50% inflation in just one year. Like this is catastrophic what we're witnessing around the world. But to your point, if you're up in New England or if you're in LA, wherever, if you're in a major metropolitan city, you're definitely not feeling things beyond just like maybe your rent went up, maybe some, the cost for eggs went up a dollar, milk yeah. and whatnot. But you're absolutely right. Like we have benefited from this system. I will say um, when the when the Russian Ukraine thing first hit off, right? Was that the 24th of February, I think. And um, about the 27th, a few days later, 
I put out a tweet. I said, you know, I've been thinking about this. Um, I'll probably give you a little more verbose version of this because it's not a tweet. It's not 140 characters. But my, my thought was, this is a little bit, he's playing for something different than I think everybody else is thinking he's playing for. He's playing for resources, right? I think he's thinking long-term, the long game on Russia, and we need to be independent of the global economy, right? Um, and so he had some leverage with oil and gas, um, and he has leverage with a nuclear power, right? At least we all think he does, right? <laughs> I don't know how updated they may be or anything, but I ain't messing with that. I don't know about you. I tell you what, I know we're not messing with that as a country, right? Otherwise, we'd be in there, boots on the ground. We're not, right? Um, so there's kind of a code of conduct as to when you need to attack versus, you know, respond to all this kind of stuff. Um, as you guys all know, they're not a UN nation. All right. So why, where am I going with this? Um, comes down to, again, the financial privilege, right? We're the narrative is that we're putting on sanctions because we're trying to save the people in the Ukraine. And listen, man, I think, I think that's, it's a noble cause. And I totally agree with that. It's it, from a moral perspective, you can't disagree. But the question is, there's, there's always ripple effects, right? Like what are the ripple effects that are happening? If you're seeing in Peru, they're protesting over food and this and the prices of everything going through the roof. So I don't know, there might be a couple million people that die there, but, but what we do might end up impacting 10 to 20 to 50 million people globally. Right. And so you're starting to see these ripple effects. So this is the check your financial privilege stuff. Right. And it's also like, you know, we, who are we to be the ones that are the arbiters of the world, you know? And it's because again, we're able to, the fact that we're able to even do that is because we don't have Bitcoin, right? So that's like the control of our monetary uh, system in the U.S. dollar, you know? No, you're absolutely right, man. Jay, I want to give you the opportunity to maybe ask us or touch on a top subject that you wanted to touch on that we haven't really been able to explore. I don't know. We've covered a lot today. And I... Why didn't you guys get Elon at the conference? <laughs> So I'm not in charge of programming. Uh, <laughs> That's me, P, right? Please. What's up, P? We, what are you doing, we P? tried, we tried, and uh, several times, and we got denied. We got to like the last level of who approves this, and they said no. Oh, so maybe now, next P went year. on Clubhouse, and he was telling us like the whole process. It was very difficult, and it's an interesting process based on what he was explaining to everybody. Pretty cool though. I haven't yeah. been to the conference. I think I'm going to go to the conference next year. Hopefully, it's on the East Coast somewhere. Um, you people didn't are talking come? about. I didn't know. I, I didn't go to any of the, I've never been to a Bitcoin conference. I used to go to like conferences for the tech shit, like tech crunch conferences, disrupt all the shit years ago. There's nothing for me to promote. So most people are there. They're in a business or something like that, but I probably should just go for deal flow and stuff as an investor. I was going to say you should, we could, we could sidebar about this, but definitely like for what you do doing a whale pass, there's a lot of stuff this year in particular that we had that catered towards whales who wanted to look at Bitcoin investing and then founders who are looking for investors to build out their companies. Cool. Yeah. Next year. I and mean, you guys are already about to do, are you doing ticket sales now? I think I said yeah, yeah, now. Pre-sale. No location, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-sale through the end of the week, but I think your first one's going to be a great one, man. Can't wait to have you there next what, year. Do you have, you have any idea like directionally in any way? Like what are the top venues? Because Pete was saying there's only like five or six places in the country. Yeah, there's only a couple there, places. Right? Yeah. It's like San it's Diego's, be... Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I don't think it could be in California because California no. sucks. Yeah, California <laughs> I sucks. I mean, Vegas, LA local. Would, be LA Vegas local. would be a cool upgrade, but. <laughs> you, would you I, ever Vegas... consider New York? Would you guys ever consider New York City? I don't I think, think New York or Vegas. I think in the United States, it's like Texas and Miami. Okay. But Atlanta, I, no, I can't, I mean, we don't know yet. We're, we're honestly making stuff up right now. All we can say with certainty <laughs> and like certainty is only one third of us believes this, that it'll be in the U.S. I definitely could see like, 
honestly, I could see Vegas in the cards until people realize like what having a, all those Bitcoiners in Las Vegas of all places actually would ensue and entail. And then people would rethink that and we would probably shift it. But I, I'm all, I'm on board with putting it in Vegas. I think you guys should option. do it. If you do it, whether it's Vegas or um, <laughs> whether it's Vegas or Miami or even Texas, right. For that matter, they're very, very hot climates. I would, I would definitely choose a little bit earlier. Um, some of the people that live down in, in Florida were saying you probably should have done a couple months earlier just because of the, I don't know how hot it was when you were there, yeah. um, but it can get pretty hot and muggy and stuff. I, no, we hit it perfect this year. Weather wise. You got lucky with the weather. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I remember in 21. By the way, you got to do it there because I was invited to Sailor's Place barbecue. And Eric Weiss asked yeah. me to go and I didn't go because I, I was like, shit, man, I hope they have it here next year. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. now, honestly, you're not wrong with Sailor down there. It might be, who knows though? Maybe Elon's going to be our keynote next he's like, year. He's like, I, I, you know, we don't want, we don't want leaders, right? But he's kind of like a captain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got he the ship behind him. He's got the yeah, ship yeah, behind yeah. him all the time. He's like the captain of the ship. <laughs> Look, man, 100%. I've been doing a lot of research on on Sailor, and let me tell you, I I genuinely went into it wanting to be like, let me find a reason to not like this man. Like, let me find like stuff. You, I'm only left more and more impressed. I can't wait for the mobile wave to come, and like, I'm gonna dive into that book when it does, even though it's over a decade old. Just like to see what the way that man like thought about the future that came to pass and really came to life. You know, what's interesting Q? It's like, uh, when I talked to Eric about it, uh, his orange pilling of him and stuff, it, it was like, he was telling him about it for years, but the interesting thing was it didn't click. I think until he saw the inflation, what he thought would be the inflation coming, which he was absolutely right about. What a, what a call, by the way, he caught, he caught that real early. Um, and, and that's when it kind of clicked. He was like, well, should I buy gold? Should I do, what should we do? Cause we can't sit in cash. Right. So what are we going to do? Um, do you buy your S and P? Do you buy, and it's like, well, that's volatile. You don't know. And it's like, they're, they're printing more of that all the time too. So it's interesting how he's come to, you know, it all takes us a while. We don't all get there right away. Right. And that's why I tell everybody, it's like, it, you're not going to get there on your first introduction to Bitcoin. It takes a, a several touches. I mean, I got introduced to Bitcoin in like 12 or 13 initially. Sure. I've heard about it. Like I never read it, but I started to read about it. Um, it was uh, Fred Wilson, uh, if you know who that is, the venture capitalist in New York. Um, he was writing about it a lot on his blog, and I started to like research it after reading about what he had to say. But I viewed it, uh, I just viewed it like very Ponzi-like back then, and it just wasn't a legitimate asset. There wasn't enough value in it for me to understand that. And I think that probably Seller thought the same thing, and most people. And even today, by the way, for the institutional argument that everybody was talking about for last year, you know, on the institution money coming in, um, there's a variety of reasons why that's not happening, right? But I think one of them is it's like, even though it's a trillion dollar asset, it's just not that big. If somebody's got to put, like if, if like Apple, what are they, like $200 billion in cash in the balance sheet? They'd have to put a sizable amount of Bitcoin in and that would really move the price of Bitcoin. So it's like, they have to buy that over an extended period of time possibly. And then now that they're in, Remember, Elon said the reason why we sold it was the test of liquidity, right? No, I believe that, but that's what they said, right? Um, there's some truth to that though, because you got to really understand if we had to get out of this for whatever reason, right? What would happen? How could we impact it? What is our size within this in terms of the float going to do to it? You know, um, and, and these are things I think that like, as we get to like three, four, five trillion dollars, you're going to see more and more. And then it's like this kind of like the super cycle at some point where it just starts to really take off. Is there a point though, where like, like I, I always bring up this cautionary tale, like a billionaire's 1% allocation into Bitcoin is more than me, Alex and Chris could do combined. Like maybe most of the plebs at Bitcoin Magazine could even like afford. And so like, if you all of a sudden have like 10 billionaires doing that, that's almost one tenth of the entire Bitcoin value based on today's value, maybe a little bit more than 10%. Like, is there sort of this line where we have to be careful of 
having too many of these billionaires having a concentrated power to then not allow for like the no because this goes back to what i was trying to say earlier which is um as that starts to happen right the number starts to go up and as it starts to go up you're going to see a distribution of the OGs that have been in for a while to say, you know what, my, I've, I've made like a thousand X on this or whatever they made. And, and the future growth is only like 50 X. And what's the growth over what period of time is it 50 X? And you got to take that into a calculator and say, if it's going to take another 20 years to get the remaining 50 X on this, what's the growth rate? Is it like 25% um, compounded? Okay. I see other assets that might be able to do that. You know, there could be other assets that they could be invested in and they'll divest some of their holdings into that. And that will distribute out to more people and that will lower the volatility, I think, um, over time. There's a lot of things that could also help with the volatility. I think that in U.S. we have this wash trading that's happening, wash trade uh, for, you know, so um, and I'm not saying the NFT wash trading, right? you know what I'm talking about, the tax code, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where you can like it drops, you sell buy back. Yeah. Right? Just the stocks, audience you understands. can't sell a stock and then buy you gotta back wait 30, 30 days. days. That's right. Yep. 30 days. And you have to be out of it completely before you come back into it. Right. That's not the yep. case um, in Bitcoin. Right. And I think if they, they could eliminate they that, that rule for 2023 no. though, or no? they have no. not. No, sailor and I were on a, on a spaces and we, I asked him that question about that and he's been talking about it too. And he's like, absolutely. He thinks it's not going to be like a panacea. It doesn't finish. Um, it doesn't fix it completely, but it's all these like knocking things down. Another one, John Ficori, if you guys know John, right. So John, um, yeah. he's a Bitcoiner as well. And he just did sat sensitives. I think he was on, uh, he might've been on here somewhere. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So, so, so he says it's like the tax code issues too, like how it's accounted for on the balance sheet for public companies. I'm not an accountant, so I can't speak about that intelligently. Um, but John's given a great, um, explanation as to why that's also impacting the decision-making for public companies to want to put in a balance sheet. And I think we all know if you listen to, um, was it uh, Kathy Wood was saying it's like 5% or 10%, I think it's five, 5% of the cash on the balance sheets and the S&P moves in, we go to four or $500,000 per Bitcoin, right? Um, so how do we encourage them to do that? These are things like regulation, you know, different laws. And a lot of Bitcoiners like, we don't care about regulation. Well, it matters, right? These things do matter, right? Um, so if they could fix some of those things, you could start to see the number going up a little bit faster because more flows coming in. And then, as I said, it will encourage those that have been in for a while to see what the expected future returns are, maybe divest into something else. Uh, I love that double explanation because I think the second time is really when it clicked in my head of like, oh my God, you're you're absolutely right. Like the thousand X gains on Bitcoin are only going to be at a certain point for certain people, depending on what your entry price was. But at a certain point too, like you will be able to look at other opportunities with Bitcoin only have a potential 10X and then something else having a potential to 20X. What those other things are remains to be seen. Um we didn't really talk a lot about the idea or concepts of Satoshis. Um, I wonder sure. if SAS, yeah. just in general, because that's- In exchanges? Yeah. Just like more day-to-day, like no one's really sending, unless you're a whale, transacting on much higher uh, levels of transactions. You're not sending a whole Bitcoin at a time. You're sending pieces at a time. Uh, talk to us about just sort of what that adoption looks like or what you think that adoption looks like. Because I think- Personally, I think they're a little separate from just mass Bitcoin adoption to then understanding what a SAT is, how to interact and use a SAT on a regular basis. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the biggest issues, I think, out there. Brad Mills talks about this all the time. He's always constantly like sending notes to people in DMs to like the to like the different exchange heads, you know, um, whether it's a Kraken or Unchained or whatever. I, I, you know, they don't have an incentive, I hate to say it, but I don't think they have much of an incentive to want to change it to SATs on their websites because, um, 
they're, it's almost like they're encouraging the shit coinery, right? Because they make money on this shit. Let's be honest, it's incentives, right? So mm -hmm. if you're selling more than Bitcoin, unlike Corey, right? But everybody else is selling something else. Um, it's about volume and transactions, right? And that's how they're making money. I think long-term though, all of them, including Corey, they have to figure out another model, whether it's DeFi or something else within Bitcoin. And because if you think about it, at some point, like the Robinhood kind of, they kind of laid the, the groundwork of 0% commission fees, right? On trades. And that, that's coming, right? I mean, it's just a matter of time when Fidelity and Schwab and all of them allow you to just buy and sell Bitcoin within your brokerage account, and they're not going to charge you anything for it, right? So that's, I think that's going to happen. Um, this like, you know, 1% fee or whatever it is, you know, for the average exchange, um, I think that's going away over time, right? So there's going to be custodial service fees. There's going to be like lending products. There's going to be all kinds of other things, I think. Um, but to your point, to get people to buy it, um, you can't price it in Bitcoin because it's like these fractions, right? Like I have a contractor that works for me and I was like, I pay him like 200 bucks to edit my videos or some shit. He lives in Nigeria, which is cool. And um, I, I pay him like 0.007 or something like that, right? So it's like super small amounts, you know, in terms of like converted to, 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 to fiat, um, like, why not just do it in sats, right? Um, I think that would look at least feel better, right? People are feeling they're getting like a number, not a fraction of a number. And it's like, right. how do you wrap your head around that for most people? So um, it, it really is the exchanges that need to do that. And it's unfortunately, they don't have much of an incentive to do that, I think. No, that makes sense. Look, Coinbase makes so much more money trading everything else outside of Bitcoin. And they'll look to it and say like, this validates everything else. When in reality, you look at Bitcoin at large versus everything else. And then no, it's still the, the biggest, baddest fish in the sea. Yeah, most people um, don't understand like that are coming into this. They have no idea that one Bitcoin is 100 million Satoshis. They don't know that stuff, right? Like they, they're just like, oh man, I, I missed it. I can't, I can't afford a Bitcoin. And it's, that's like the first thing people say, right? And then the next thing is, oh, I'm too late. Even if I, even they can't afford it. It's like, where's it going from here? And it's like, bro, you don't understand. There's only going to be 21 million full Bitcoins. They don't understand any of this stuff. Um, that's why you got to encourage them to read BJ's paper. They'll, they'll get it. <laughs> Everyone, if you're watching this, if you're listening and you have not read the bullish bullish case for Bitcoin, you need to go just stop what you're doing, pull over the car, park it for 45 minutes and sit there and just read it. It'll take you 45 minutes, but it will be the best. And by the way, we should congratulate VJ. He just had his wife just had a baby. I don't know if you saw yes. that. Yeah. Congratulations, baby number four. Happy, happy to hear that it's healthy. And hopefully uh, we have yet another Bitcoiner joining the ecosystem. I don't um, think that's a hope with him as a, as a father. <laughs> um, I have one more question before I l let you go back to, you know, actually making money and stop wasting your time talking to us. Um, bring up Fidelity a little bit. And yesterday, Michael Saylor announced that MicroStrategy is going to offer through Fidelity, the ability for people, their employees to buy Bitcoin with their 401k. Um, this is the first bank doing it initial thoughts or reactions on that. And then what does this look like game theory wise for the rest of the banks? Yeah. So I think that was great. Um, I've been talking with them for some other business that I'm working on with some people um, as a potential custodian for something. Um, so they have digital fidelity, digital assets. Um, I imagine it's going through that in some way and how they're connecting that with, because fidelity is a very large organization. They have different divisions within it um, as you probably know. Right. Um, so it's like, I think they're like $7 trillion in assets, um, under administration there. It's, it's incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's great. You're probably going to see more doing that. Um, I've already seen some people kind of pushing back. It's like, Oh, you know, it's like, uh, it's a highly risk asset. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's not, you know, like you're just seeing the volatility day to day. Right. But if you look at it, zooming out, we all know there's, there's really no risk to this. Um, and when you really understand the, the fundamentals of, of Bitcoin, but I think it's great. And I think you're going to see more things like that, whether it's 
um, IRA accounts that are easily, you know, you buy Bitcoin directly. Right now you have to do a self-directed IRA and you have to go find a company that can support that kind of stuff versus just going into your brokerage accounts and be able to have that option and just click it. They started with a 401k, but I guarantee the next step will be like Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. Um, and then more importantly, over time, it'll just be like, you could just buy it in your account, taxable accounts, right? Um, so these are just like the first step of what we were just talking about a minute ago. And, and you're going to see more and more of this happening, I think, over the next year or so. Do you think though that a company like MicroStrategy, because they're on the forefront of Bitcoin adoption and have Bitcoin on their reserves, is more inclined to do something like this versus just Fidelity rolling this out for all of their 401k customers? Well, they, they did roll it out for everybody, actually. So the question is, who wants to adopt it, right? So if you're an employer that's using uh, Fidelity as your 401k, you can, they're not defaulting it that you can. I, and that part I didn't understand. It should just be a default. Everybody gets it. But maybe they have to allow the employer who are the planned administrators for their plans for their employees to accept it and turn that functionality on. So um, as, my, as I understood it, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when I read that, that it is available it's just a matter of them, I guess, getting educated and then saying, sure, I'll allow my, uh, my employees to do it. Now, some employees, employers, to your point, may be like, oh, I don't want to do that because I'm not Not that they're legally responsible, but they'll feel a responsibility or accountability that th somebody put into their 401k, like whatever their annual contribution is, ten dollars or $15,000. And then by the end of the year, it's down by 50% because there's a volatility in this thing. Um, and maybe they're just, maybe those particular employers might be worried again, because they don't understand Bitcoin, right? So Fidelity probably needs to not only just send an email to say, hey, you could just do Bitcoin, but also an email, maybe with BJ's paper, but something that kind of explains what Bitcoin is so that they can get an understanding. But to your point, I think like, I think if you're using, like a lot of companies, a, a tremendous amount of companies are using Fidelity for their 401k plans, including a lot of technology companies. And I think most founders of technology companies probably understand this stuff. So I think it's going to get adopted within the technology sector first. But if you're running like an oil and gas or a railroad company, yeah, I could probably see them maybe not turning that on for their employees. I'm not going to ask you about Exxon, but now that that <laughs> idea came into my mind, I'm just going to say, I'm definitely going to bother you to come back on the show, Jay. Um, for our audience who maybe doesn't know where to keep up with you, I know you have a newsletter. I know you're on Twitter. I know you have a podcast. Where can they find more about you? Uh, yeah, just, just look me up on Twitter. That's uh, J-A-Y-G-O-U-L-D. And, uh, and any of the social platforms, it's the same username, um, including AngelList and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Awesome, Jay. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute blast and pleasure chatting with you, man. I will let you go back to all the wheeling and dealing that I'm sure has been blowing up your phone, man. Yeah.